six months of my IT career, back before I went into seminary and started doing ministry, were some of the most interesting six months of my life. I had the chance to work across those six months in three different nuclear power plants. And have I had the chance to learn an awful lot of behind-the-scenes kinds of stuff that you normally wouldn't pick up just even driving by. First being, it's actually more economical for a power plant to buy power than to produce its own, which really kind of surprised me, but that's what they told me, so I'll go with it. The second thing was that, surprisingly enough for how state-of-the-art nuclear power plants can be, nuclear control rooms look like they're straight out of a World War II movie. Uh, Old-school dials like Cold War kind of stuff, all of that. And the third that was actually kind of interesting for a geek like me was learning how a nuclear reactor works. Now, I promise I will take all of this nuclear physics stuff and I will put it to a passage this morning. But there are, within a, a nuclear reactor, there's this series of rods they call, ironically, control rods. And they are inserted or retracted uh, from the reactor in order to control the reaction rate of all the nuclear stuff going on and, and control the power production and all that sort of stuff. And if you fully were to insert all these rods in to the reactor, you could essentially stop the react reactions and essentially shut down the reactor, which is part of what they would do uh, before I came because I was always there for the uh, shutdowns and the refuelings and stuff like that. If you fully retracted the rods, pulled them out of the reactor, the reactions would go all wild and you'd have yourself another Chernobyl. Now, last week, we touched on how easy, I promise I'm going to bring this around, we touched on how easy it is to, to live in cancel culture. That if you don't like something, you just cancel it. You walk away. You stop listening to them. You unfriend them, whatever it is. It's easy to do really honestly from either side of the aisle this is not just a right thing or a left thing and traits like kindness and compassion and unity those are things that are hard work that take a certain inner fortitude to be able to pull off and the spirit of canceling this idea of cancel culture and living by jesus rule to love one another do we just swing to the other side and just let everything fly let, you know, we tolerate everything and, you know, nothing is off limits. Well, not if you want to avoid another Chernobyl in your life. I have, in witnessing the um, nuclear event that Paul is writing into here, he's writing into a very messy church amongst those that he wrote known as Corinth. I'm going to break this up a little bit, but this is all going to come out of 1 Corinthians 5. So here's the first five verses. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not found even among pagans, for a man is living with his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Should you not rather have mourned, so that he who has done this would have been removed from among you? For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on the man who has done such a thing. When you are assembled, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. You are to hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Well, there are some strong words from the Apostle Paul. Now, the idea, as I had said, Corinth being a kind of a messy church, it's no stranger to immorality. So Paul has, across his two letters to them, a lot to address. 
There's plenty that can just leave people, uh, plenty going on in the society that can just leave people shaking their heads like, oh my goodness, how in the world is this going on? And for now, Paul is not confronting outsiders with their behaviors. As he says a little bit later on in this chapter, in verses 12 and, 12 and 13, they go like this. For what have I to do with judging those outside? Is it not those who are inside that you are to judge? God will judge those outside. Drive the wicked person from among you. I like the reality check that one writer gives when he says, he asks the question, why would we expect a non-Christian to act like a Christian? Sort of where Paul is going with this. He's like, we're not talking about outsiders. We're not talking about people who are playing by a different set of rules. It'd be like if one of my Muslim friends were to come up to me and say, well, why don't you act like a Muslim? We do this and this and this and this. And it's like, I don't do that because I'm not a Muslim. Here, he's calling out the insider, the one who should know better. Even though he says the stuff that's going on, pagans don't even do this sort of stuff. And the pagans were like, you know what? You want to sleep with, with prostitutes, that's fine. But sleeping with your father's wife, that's a little bit far even for us. Even worse, it seems like the culture or the community at Corinth is celebrating this man's actions. It's almost like they cut the chains off of Las Vegas level of morality because that was too strict. And Paul's like, what is with that? If there was ever a time, this is the time we need to call out this act. If there's ever a place for church discipline, this is it. I know, absolutely everybody's favorite topic for a Sunday event, second maybe only to, to money and politics. But remember, think about it this way, and you just look outside uh, at just about every community out there, and every community has some flavor of the equivalent of church discipline. And if you're always late to work, what happens? You get fired. You're disciplined. If you rob a bank, guess what? You're going to jail. Yet in a church, it seems like, or in any faith community, whether it's gathered on a Sunday morning or not, it's almost like you can't do that sort of thing. Well, keep in mind this, and I'm going to try and build this case that maybe church discipline, maybe calling somebody out from the inside isn't quite the blastum event that it often kind of has the, the, um, the sense of. Keep this in mind, that discipline in the Bible overwhelmingly means to teach, to instruct, to correct. Uh, you know, I met a, a mom one time. She was a new mom. Um, I think she had probably a one or a two-year-old. And she said, you know, I hate being the disciplinarian in the family because I'm always having to play the bad guy. I'm always having to be the one to, to put in time out or to take away a toy or something like that. And I had said, or I looked at it or as I'm talking to her, and I'm like, you know what, if you see discipline as punishing a child, then yeah, it sounds like a bad guy topic. And nobody wants to be the, the bad guy with their children. But if you see it as teaching a child or an opportunity to teach a child, it takes on a whole different perspective. And it totally changes our approach to the idea. I mean, think about from taking from the other side. You know, I'm guessing uh, many who are watching this are parents, or if not, you're children of somebody, so you can, you can get this. Who'd think that it is loving 
to let a child get away with disrespect. I, I'm going to choose that because that's one of the themes that we try and really drive in at in our house. I'm guessing nobody would say it's okay. Or nobody would say that it's loving to let a child totally disrespect everybody. Because it's far better for a child to learn respect when the consequences are minimal. I mean, as you as a child grows up and they become a teenager or an adult and they disrespect a boss or they disrespect you know an authority figure or the police they're gonna wish it was just their tablet getting taken away or getting put in their room for an hour so let's kind of bring this back to to Corinth's situation here what's the hope what's Paul's hope for this whole discipline discussion that he's got going on here well Paul says and says this in verse 5 you are to hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. You know, the first part of that verse almost sounds cruel. The idea, you are to hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. It certainly doesn't sound Christian, at least on the surface. But if you give me a minute before you log off of watching this, or you know, start hate commenting me or, or lynching me or something like that, we'll see that the motivation behind all of this really is love for both the person and for the church, the community. See, it shows love to the person in that the whole motivation of, of this idea, the hope in removing the person from a lot of the community is that it'll be a wake-up call. It'll kind of snap them to almost give them that Denozo slap upside the back of the head for those who are fans, many in our community are fans of NCIS. Hopefully it gets the person to take their sins seriously. Especially this person who at this point is, uh, is living with his father's wife. There's, that's probably a very G-rated version of what's going on here. But p- remember to pair this with Matthew 18, where, which is Jesus teaching on the topic. And he doesn't, Jesus doesn't go straight to the idea of if you see somebody sinning, kick them out of the church. There's a, or kick them out of the community. There's a lot of buildup. There are many different steps, many different chances for a person to show repentance, to, to change their way and change their actions. It's all meant to bring about redemption in, in the relationship. How do these ideas go together of, of calling somebody out and it's meant to actually be in love and redemption? Well, take the concept of an intervention. What, what is an intervention being, if I can label it in one sentence here, it's essentially calling somebody out on an addiction problem. Now, I've personally been a part of two of them that I can think of off the top of my head as I was writing this. And both of them honestly motivated by hoping that the loved one that we are intervening towards or or calling out, if you will, hoping they would get help. I mean, if it were meant to be malicious, you know what, all of us, we had to just backed off and let the addiction do its thing because, you know, some addictions that require interventions, if you just let them go, they will be malicious. They will have bad results. But know this, it didn't come, or we didn't, as various groups, we didn't come straight out with intervention. There was a lot of buildup. There was a lot of conversations and a lot of um, trying to make the person aware of what was going on. Similar to what Jesus says in Matthew 18. Uh, I suggest reading, reading that. It's only a couple of verses in about the middle of the chapter. 
that give the, the multiple steps before it gets to the point of what Paul is calling the Corinthians to do and kicking this guy out of the community. If the church gets to the point of kicking them out, of excommunicating them, to use another word that's often used in you know, church parlance, then the situation is pretty extreme. The hard-heartedness going on, the I'm going to dig in and not repent or turn away from what I'm doing is pretty extreme by that point. But this idea of calling the person out also shows love to the community. As Paul continues in verses 6 through 8, Your boasting is not a good thing, he's telling the church. Do you not know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old yeast so that you may be a new batch, as you really are unleavened. For our Paschal Lamb, Christ, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The fact is, sin spreads throughout a community. Many say that there are certain sins that are victimless. Or, you know what, it only affects me, not anybody else, so stay out of my business. Well, the truth is, we often don't give sin enough credit as a virus. As the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 15, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and through it many become defiled. I often liken the idea to food coloring. Let's say that Deanna sins against Marlene, and it's not dealt with quickly. Marlene goes to Bible study, and Letty asks how it's going. Oh, horrible! Guess what Deanna did to me? The virus does what viruses do. Spreads. The next day, Letty sees Deanna across the aisle at Wegmans and gives her the stink eye. Betty sees it because Letty's stink eye can scare a gorilla. Betty asks what's up and the virus spreads further. And it repeats continuously until it's spread across the whole church. Or more. That kind of virus could break down a healthy church, let alone the Corinthians. Sometimes extreme discipline is the only way to keep a community alive. Is it fun? Not one bit. I will speak certainly from my examples or my experiences doing interventions. Is it necessary? Unfortunately, sometimes it is. But here's the good news. And, and take some hope in this, I guess. That in 20 years of various ministry that I've done, I've only really seen things get to this level once. And honestly, I hope to go another 20 years or more, if I can, before I have to see it again. But don't mistake in the rarity for the topic for going this far as being something we can just blow over. Because you put enough people together and things can get messy and can get messy real fast. As my illustration earlier shows, if there's sin at any level, it needs to be dealt with. If there's conflict at any level, it needs to be dealt with. There is no bonus points for shoving something like this under the carpet. But here's the thing. We deal with it in love. 
That's what makes communities great. Because again, participating in community is a risk. You know, we don't want to hurt others. We don't want to make a mistake. We don't want to be an outcast. But if I know that no matter what, people's response to me is going to be motivated by love, I become free to love them back. Even in all my imperfections, even in all my twisted efforts that backfire and make me want to you know, swallow my words or put my foot in my mouth or whatever. If I know that their response to me, whatever it might be, is going to be motivated by love, I'm, I can be a part of a group as my real self, not as the image I think I need to portray in order to be liked or accepted or loved or whatever. I want to be a part of a community like that where I can be honest, where I can be me, warts and all. How about you? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you call us to a high calling in, in being a, a part of a community that values the health of its members and values the health of the community as a whole. So help us to have the courage to, to love each other enough to call each other out when we need to. To lovingly say, to lovingly share concern when something does not appear to be right. Help us to do that lovingly. And in a way that brings glory and honor to you, we pray. Amen.